The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the Frankenmuth Historical Association. Some episodes may contain subjects that are uncomfortable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and guten tag, and welcome to Historians and Lederhosen. I'm Garrett. I'm Nathan. And I'm Malcolm. We are three historians from the Frankenmuth Historical Association, located in Frankenmuth, Michigan. The association owns and operates a seven-gallery museum, a historical log house, Fisher Hall, and a collection of over 30,000 artifacts. Check those out at frankenmuthmuseum.org or right on our Facebook page at Frankenmuth Historical Museum. This podcast will tell the stories of Michigan's Little Bavaria to the real Bavaria and anything in between. Be sure to tune in every other week and listen to the three of us and our guests as we dive into the wide world of history. Auf Wiedersehen. Hello and welcome to the podcast. We are the Historians and Lederhosen. If you are a long-time listener, welcome back. If you are new to the podcast, thanks so much for clicking on this episode. If you like what you hear, please be sure to hit follow to get notifications of new episodes. So today, I kind of want to discuss something a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Museums and pop culture. We've talked a lot about museum uh, work and how they do what they do and what we do in museums, but how are museums perceived? What are the reputations of museums in pop culture? And what can museologists learn from movies and television about the ways in which museums are perceived by the public. All that and more coming up. So I think we're going to just go ahead and forego a segment for this episode because I kind of just want to dive in. So um, here's kind of what I want to do. Let's start exploring some examples. Uh, I've kind of just made a list of what I think are just some iconic uh, movies that include either museum work or museum specifically, and I just kind of want to throw them out there and sort of just explore um, what uh, what we have kind of going on today. How's that sound to you guys? Sounds Sounds great. Okay, very good, very good. So uh, I have my list. I'm just going to announce it, and then we'll kind of just discuss, uh, we'll discuss it, how museums are perceived in the movie, what we think um, is the messaging here, and what maybe museums could learn from the way museums are perceived in this movie. So let's start with the obvious one, I think, the one that's in the title, Night at the Museum. So uh, obviously there's more, but let's just stick maybe to the first one, because I think most Mm -hmm. people saw the first one, and then there's been, I think, two or three sequels. But let's just start with the first one. So for those of you that don't know, Night of the Museum was a movie starring Ben Stiller where he plays a uh, security guard. He gets hired as a security guard at the uh, the Natural History Museum. And at night, when he closes down the museum, the all of the um, artifacts, I guess you could say, all of the uh, mannequins and like statues everything. all come to life <laughs> at nighttime. And then there's a, there's a great romp as to why that's happening and the danger therein. Um, but there's a couple things to kind of note about this film. Um, I think uh, right away, Way. Uh, it's a great film because museums are very much perceived as being fun, at least at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, during the day, they're boring, but <laughs> yeah. But even then, too, I mean, like uh, you know, if if you watch the movie, like you know, school groups are coming in, people are yeah, like having true. fun in the museum. It's not yeah. like per- I don't think the museum is represented as boring at any point, which mm-hmm. is really great for us. Um, it's also kind of representative of how diverse some museum collections can be. Obviously, the Natural History Museum has stuff from Columbus, from Easter Island, um, Egyptian artifacts. Um, Teddy Roosevelt is a character. I mean, there's a lot. Um, 
um, there's a lot of different characters kind of going on throughout the film. Um, and most notably, too, uh, and, and this this is the thing that never made sense to me. The curator of the museum is this, uh, this uh, it's Ricky Gervais, and he's playing this sort of like bumbling buffoon, but he has like a PhD, and he's very like, oh, well, I have a PhD, so I know what's going on. But he's the curator, but he also seems to run the museum, which doesn't really make any sense to me because curators don't run museums. They didn't really, they didn't really <laughs> write the hierarchy of museum life very well. No, so that's something to know. Is a curator usually doesn't run the museum the way it's kind of presented in the film. He would have just. Been it's made. also a Smithsonian museum, or is this it's like a pseudo Smithsonian? Smithsonian? No, because there's the sequel that's at the Smithsonian. I think this is like one of the. This is in New York. I think, the New actually, York, yeah. but I was like thinking about it. I was like, if it were the Smithsonian, the curator definitely doesn't run the museum. That's run by the government, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and yeah, so there's definitely some uh, some smudging there. But I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you think of this movie? What do you think? Uh, how do you think museums are portrayed in this film? It's an absolute classic. It's one of it's one of the most fun movies to watch too, because you just have like those <laughs> stupid like lines from the Easter Island statue, like dum dum <laughs> dum dummy gum gum, <laughs> um, and then just like like the Teddy Roosevelt character is yeah. so oh, so much yeah. fun. But it also. It's, this it's, is just it's a, almost a kind of a bland version of him, to be honest. This like, is a, it's Robin Williams, so it's great. But like that, that Teddy Roosevelt went hard. <laughs> like, true. Like, yeah. I think the only thing is personally, this movie always scares me a little because it feeds into my fear that like mannequins are alive. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing. But otherwise, I think this is like it. Like all the things you said, it shows that like museums are fun places for learning. Mm-hmm. And like Ben Stiller learns a lot about like like history and stuff like that from these. That's a great point. These in like order characters to, being alive. Well, in order to kind of manage them at night and keep the museum safe and secure, mm-hmm. he does have to learn the history of everyone so that he can properly interact with them and kind of meet them halfway. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, I like just the funness of it. Like when the T Rex comes live and he's screaming <laughs> and running down the hallway, like playing oh with my the ball. Gosh. Oh yeah, playing with the ball too. Yeah, it, they they make a T Rex a dog, which yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if that's historically accurate. <laughs> I think it's fine. They can't reach the ball. <laughs> I think that's the only thing about this museum is this museum does not have seem to have any sort of collecting mandate or exhibition <laughs> focus. That's just like history just anything they got dinosaur bones they got ancient egypt they got columbus they got they have um, the tiny little like roman roman like um, diorama with like the tiny diorama hall yeah yeah like that's like where they have the romans and like manifest destiny in the same Uh, like room (laughs) (laughs) like this curator is not very good (laughs) no but he's he's too busy running the museum well yeah so that's why the exhibits are all over the place the curator is too busy running the museum and hiring and firing one security guard for the whole place no there's only two employees (laughs) yeah that's it the curator and the the security the night security guard it seems that way yeah it definitely seems that way Um, so yeah I think we could say uh, this is a great movie it's a lot of fun um, and definitely I think represents museums in a very positive light I think it's probably good for museums and it makes them look accessible it makes it makes Mm. it kind of humanizes like the content too that's one of the things that I really like Mm. is it makes the content palatable it teaches you in a fun way because like surprisingly this movie is like slightly historically accurate like they they do have like little nuggets in there where they're teaching you something valuable yeah in terms when kind of through Ben Stiller's character Mm -hmm. as the protagonist you know he has to um, he's very anti-history he kind of makes that clear that he doesn't really care about museums but then he learns to enjoy museums and see the value in having this knowledge Mm -hmm. I think there's a like kind of a fun opportunity if you're an educator or an event planner in a museum too to like 
do a little spin on this one night like have a night at the museum oh, at your so place much fun. Like, i could pretend to be i could pretend to be like one of the statues up there and i could just come to life you could take the place of uh, Fritz in the one cabinet and just oh turn like, boom! <laughs> oh, no. That'd be horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be here. Well, that's why we have all of our uh, artifacts in cabinets, so they can't get out and roam the museum at night. <laughs> Great. They're all in cabinets. You're making me feel safe now. It's the turkey. It's the turkey in the, like, the one window in the long cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I heard something the other morning. Get me out of here! Oh, that's fun. I just assumed that was Malcolm doing collection stuff in the base. I was like, oh, Malcolm again. <laughs> no, you, you forgot to look it's in the, the window. You uh, forgot. Uh, you forgot to look in the window. Exactly. Uh, all right, you guys cool to move on? Yeah. So the next one I have on my list is uh, National Treasure 1 and 2. Um, just because they're a little bit different, they both kind of deal with different kinds of history. So um, again, a very, very quick um, synopsis is uh, National Treasure is kind of about this treasure hunter um, who is played by uh, Nicolas Cage. Um, his name is Benjamin, and uh, the, the, most of the movie is he basically has, decides he has to steal the Declaration of Independence in order to stop someone else from stealing it to find an ancient treasure, which is kind of essentially um, just an ancient uh, Masonic right um, treasure that's been yeah. passed around that's you know a lot of myth, and so it's a treasure hunt. Um, but obviously the highlight of the film that everyone references is the stealing of the Declaration of Independence because it has a map on the back of it. Um, again, we won't spoil the film necessarily, but that's kind of the... The main plot point of one. In two, it's about essentially finding um, El Dorado, the city of gold. So it's again, it's a treasure hunt. Uh, they go to a couple different museums. Um, there's a lot of artifacts that they have clues on that they're kind of searching for. And, and again, too, it's kind of a race against the bad guys. Like um, they have to try to find the treasure in order to stop the bad guys from finding the treasure first. Um, so a lot of different uh, quick points on this. Uh, obviously, in both of these movies, I think artifacts are represented as being very important. Um, security at museums is an interesting uh, thing that is kind of brought up in this film. <laughs> in these films, um, artifacts reveal secrets. That's a big kind of plot point in this is that mm. every artifact has some sort of secret code on it or something that's been hiding in plain sight, and it's just you you aren't smart enough to see it or understand it. Um, and it's kind of this notion that there is a secret history to be discovered, things that are hidden in plain sight, you know, clues that are hidden everywhere that uh, people just haven't been able to see yet or willing to see, maybe. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the overview of that film, um, Museums in History. So let's let's dive right in. Nathan, what you got? I, I like that about uh, your point about artifacts kind of revealing secrets. Well, while that's not like the case there's not a map on the back of our artifacts that we have here or something you can't go on a treasure hunt probably from that you know we that haven't I, actually that we of, no. applied uh, have we consulted the lemon turkey? juice to the back of it so. <laughs> <laughs> we might need to check that out um but like there there is kind of this secret history to really discover it's not so much secret you just have to kind of know where to look right mm. um we were recently discussing some of our favorite artifacts and some of the stories behind those artifacts that um you wouldn't necessarily know just by seeing it um, but That's when you see point. it either on exhibit or something like that, and the story's a little more fleshed out for you, or you have a tour guide, like those stories come to life. And I think that's one thing that's really cool about museums that these films kind of show is like these stories coming to life, right? 
Yeah, that there's more than just the object itself. It's kind of all about the information that goes yeah. along with it and the provenance and uh, why why that makes it kind of a special object. That's a really great point, Garrett. I think the other thing that this shows in like kind of a goofy way is that research truly is kind of like a treasure hunt at the end of the day. Like mm-hmm. you are trying mm-hmm. to piece together seemingly like disparate elements to make one story. Mm-hmm. And like... Um, like obviously we're not searching for El Dorado and we're not searching, we're not stealing the declaration of independence, but when you're consulting primary documents, you're kind of looking through these massive documents to find the one thing you need or the Mm -hmm. one few things that you need to like fit your research. And it's, um, it's kind of, it shows that in a very cool way. Also, one thing that has lived with me from this movie is the fact that they use a plastic water bottle as a magnifying glass, and I've tried to do this multiple times. <laughs> it does not work, and I don't get... Like, is when they put it on, like, the dollar bill, and they're yeah. trying to figure out what time <laughs> yeah. the clock is at. And I'm like, I, I remember watching this with um, my family and then trying to do that with a plastic water bottle. It's it's impossible. Mm-hmm. So so that's a, that's a point off for me. And jumping <laughs> off of that, too, I think uh, this movie kind of shows that, like, just having random historical facts isn't useless all the time, too. Like, just having a basic knowledge of history and when things happened and why is really important because in that scene where they're looking at the clock tower through the dollar bill and they're trying to magnify it, they're searching for a time when the sun will align to reveal the next clue and they go, oh, shoot, like, we've they- missed that time. But then the friend who is not the historian, points out that because of daylight savings, the time is technically no longer right. And it's like a huge victory moment for him. He's like, oh, I know a piece of history that you two history buffs don't know. I love that moment. It's it's a great moment. Um, But like, you know, there's just a lot of fun moments like that where just like random bits of historical information or historical fun facts uh, come out and they're really helpful. Daylight savings got casted. Daylight savings got casted. Treasure book of secrets. That's why we can't get rid of it because then that movie won't make any sense anymore. (laughs) Tell that to Arizona. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, it's a good film. At the end of both of the films, too, I think it's worth pointing out that um, they make an effort to say that all of the stuff got donated to museums. Like, uh, I think at the first movie, when they find the treasure, they take like a 10% cut of, but then everything gets donated to a museum and turned into a traveling exhibit. I think that's really cool. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Like, they make a point of that nice. in kind of the epilogue to point that out. And then at the end of episode, or uh, episode, uh, National Treasure 2, when they find El Dorado, um, they're there helping with the excavation of it and they're mentioning like, oh, don't ruin that. Like they're very careful with it. And for most part too, obviously with some major exceptions, they treat artifacts like artifacts. Like, you know, they handle them carefully. They're very like sensitive to trying to br- not break them and things like that. So yeah, overall, I think it's a, it's a solid film, um, solid couple of films. Uh, definitely a, uh, not perfect, like nothing is. But <laughs> overall, I think, again, good for museums and good for historians that are trying to promote uh, the practice. Please don't try to steal the Declaration of Independence. No. Don't don't take this as a using man, a user's manual. Please don't. <laughs> and then please don't uh, put uh, lemon juice on the back and then apply a hairdryer to it. Yeah, yeah I promise. To try to find please, a... Please, please don't cut well. a brick out of the Liberty Bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or out of the Liberty Tower. Like, please don't. Exactly. Um, okay, so next is probably one everyone's been waiting for since we started this. Indiana Jones. <laughs> Classic. Um, we're only going to discuss the trilogy here. I've decided there is only a trilogy. There, no other <laughs> movies exist. There were just three movies. Um, 
so the highlights from this film is, is obviously is about a, um, a historian and archaeologist named uh, in Dr. Indiana Jones or Dr. Jones, and he goes on adventures in uh, the 1940s, find, oh, 30s, actually, I think. Well, isn't there one where he's fighting Nazis? So yeah. Well, two of them are Nazis, but I think they're like technically like pre-war. Like the, it's like the war isn't actually. So it's like late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, Dr. Jones goes and he hunts down artifacts uh, twice to try to stop Nazis from getting them. And once he just steals a bunch of artifacts from um, an Indian cult <laughs> in Temple of Doom and then yeah. frees a bunch of child slaves. You know, it's, he's doing good work. Um Standard history work. So obviously, the um, you know it's uh, it's a fairly famous film for you know kind of uh, religious artifacts and just the you know saying artifacts are important and they shouldn't be held by evil dictatorship regimes. Um, the most famous probably museum line comes from Indiana Jones: "It belongs in a museum." One of the best lines I think ever. <laughs> and yep. obviously, too, the protagonist uh, works on behalf of a museum. Um, you know, it's it's made pretty clear that he works with uh, a curator named Marcus Brody. He he goes off and he finds artifacts and then gives them to Brody to be able to put in the museum that's um, well-established in Raiders of the Lost Ark, as well as uh, teaching history at a university um, in the States. So, uh, yeah, guys, what do you think about Indiana Jones? What what is it, What does the films of Indiana Jones say about museums and the perception of museums in pop culture? I think that it belongs in a museum is kind of like one of the most important like aspects is it showing like how how important artifacts are and like how they should be preserved. Mm. But also I just love that it makes it look like our job's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I've ran from boulders before. Yeah. Of course. To to be an archaeologist, you have to punch Nazis. <laughs> we need we need to get like a hat in the outfits, the Indiana Jones outfit, mm. and just wear them to work from now on. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> but no, Garrett makes a good point. I I think you know the fact that the uh, the protagonist in these films has sort of a uh, an ethos that like artifacts belong in the museum because they're 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 for everybody. Um, whereas he's kind of fighting people that want to steal artifacts or take artifacts for their own nefarious means and not share them with the public. Like they want them to do things for themselves, and it's a very selfish motive. And he has sort of a kind of an altruistic utilitarian motive of just like, you know, these artifacts belong in a museum for everybody. And usually the film starts with him kind of uh, finding or, or searching for a one like small artifact that then kind of sets up the plot for him to go after the big artifact that's like for the rest of the film. Um, and yeah, he's got this famous quote of it belongs in a museum. And yeah, it's great. <laughs> I think there's sort of this uh, idea that like artifacts are also kind of like sacred too that you mm-hmm. see in a lot of these movies that like, um, whether it's to do with an artifact or it's just typically something old too. Like um, I'm thinking like Wonder Woman where like these old sort of things that may or may not be in a museum, but they're old, they get discovered and then they unleash this like either terrible force if they get in the wrong mm-hmm. hands. Right. So like there's this idea that like these things, these objects and artifacts are like sacred. That's lends like a, a power to them and it's kind of a central plot hole or central plot line and all of these things, which Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Do you think that's bad though? At at any point for like the public to kind of over perceive artifacts as like because I think uh, from a collections management standpoint, like that is a bit of a problem because I always find people are like not donating like old photographs or anything that it's like, oh well, we weren't important. We just lived mm-hmm. here, you know. Like these aren't sacred. Like sure. these aren't big important artifacts so why would the museum want them so I, I i would push back a little bit in terms of like what some of these movies do is they over glorify yeah. objects and artifacts and saying like they're too important that 
only you should only ever care about the really big, important, groundbreaking artifacts. That, everything else doesn't really matter, like your family history, but it does matter, and it's all about the narrative that kind of surrounds these larger artifacts. I think you bring up a good point, but also I think that's kind of the the nature of literature, the nature of sure, film, yeah. like where um, imagine Indiana Jones is based off of finding a box of um, the Jones family from jonesboro arkansas like they (laughs) this is we're trying to find a box of their photos and we're fighting nazis over it like imagine like that was the plot line like who would watch that movie i'd still probably watch it this is is absolutely incredible this is showing my job (laughs) (laughs) that's the job yeah what a 10 year old me oh i want that job (laughs) i want to fight nazis over photos (laughs) (laughs) i need a whip to be able to do that right (laughs) Um, so yeah, no, Garrett makes a good point. Like, obviously, it's a film. It's gotta, it's gotta have a big, important nature to it. But I, I, I think I would just push back a little bit in terms of films. Definitely fetishize artifacts oh, a little sure. bit and make them like larger than life. Um, and and, like, and, and just good to uh, maybe just good to remember that yeah. artifacts don't have to only be the most important. Like, it doesn't literally have to be the holy grail to right. be an artifact. No, well said, well said. Um, okay, moving right along. So. I included this movie because it's my favorite movie of all time. Uh, the Mummy from 1998. I, I just love this film. It's it's fantastic. I could do an entire episode by myself as to why this is the best movie of all time. <laughs> but I digress. So in The Mummy, um, the main protagonists are a an adventurer um, and gunslinger who teams up with a, uh, an a, uh, aspiring Egyptologist and her brother to go to the ancient city of Hamanoptera and retrieve artifacts while they are there. They uncover the Book of the Dead, uh, which in um, which when uh, the protagonist reads it, uh, <laughs> unsuspectingly awakens a mummy with a curse, and then they have to figure out how to defeat the mummy and the curse and save the world. So, um, a standard couple, day at the office. Yeah, standard day at the office. You know, uh, for most aspiring nine to five uh, Egyptologists. <laughs> uh, so obviously, um, this is a great film because the protagonist wants to work in a museum. Specifically, she's currently like at the beginning of the film, she's a librarian, but she doesn't have enough field work to kind of move up. Um, and so she has a really great uh, knowledge of history and artifacts and what they can do. Um, artifacts unlock different secrets. Uh, different artifacts can do different things that unlock uh, different plot points in the story um there's a definitely a language and cultural barrier for the archaeologist throughout the whole film um so language plays a really important part in being able to read and uh, use and communicate with ancient languages is really important there's kind of this undertone of brawn versus brains um in the film that's kind of why i like it so much is because evelyn is definitely the the brainy one like she has all the knowledge but um she has to uh kind of team up with rico carnal who can kind of you know, fight the mummy <laughs> and, uh, and uh, push through and kind of do the hard stuff um, in kind of two different ways. You know, they, they need each other. That's really what I think the film does really well is they kind of show that they need each other to be able to uh, get through it. But yeah, what do you guys think? Have you, you've seen this film before, right? Yeah, I, it's been a while, but um, I, I really like how some of these films will really ground themselves in um, like ancient history and ancient culture like mm-hmm. this one does with with Egypt and it's it's so much fun um, and I will say too this is a bit of a different film because this is actually like a period film um, so this is uh, taking place in the 20s actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of neat that way too where it's it's taking place in the past about the past right know, so. right and so I mean I think most people probably know this but th- there's also like some references to like 
other history sort of stuff that like history buffs would only get for example like when the mummy comes back to life it's like this big scary moment right and he starts throwing people around the room mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he sees like a cat and he just flees like yeah. just instantly <laughs> out of there and it's, it's it's just funny like because i mean for for egyptians like cats were like symbols of the afterlife and so mm-hmm. he thought the cat was kind of coming back to banish him again so yeah, he's like yeah. oh, i gotta get out of here so like those fun little kind of niche things i think are always fun in films and but especially about just the 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 culture and the history that they ground themselves in i love it when films do that um even like superhero f- hero films can sometimes do that pretty pretty mm-hmm. well sometimes mm-hmm. and i really appreciate that i think i think this is also like this isn't a sim uh simply a like mummy comment but from this and the three other movies we've kind of discussed is it shows how important historians are even in pop mm. culture mm. like mm-hmm. in just the filming aspect and the writing aspect like you you couldn't have the mummy without a historian able to like fact check like is this if you're writing a period film like is this accurate would they wear this in the 20s right. mm-hmm. is right. this part of a, ancient egyptian culture like it it just shows that mm-hmm. like Historians have a place in almost all fields, and one of them is even Hollywood. So Yeah, and I really like this film, too, because to me it really contrasts Indiana Jones, where they kind of took Indiana Jones, who's a brawler and a brains, and split them up into two people to kind mm. of show that you don't have to be two in one. Like, you can mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. the smart person and still, like, have value in the plot, even if you're not the one just, like, punching everyone. <laughs> There's something to be said, too, for all these movies just being fun, right? And, like, in that sense, sure, yeah. that they are stoking and appreciation for history among the public that otherwise might not learn these aspects about mm-hmm. history. Um, sometimes they take a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They take a lot of... Uh, Dramatic liberty. and like- Yeah, they take a lot of liberties with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they can stoke the fires of like really appreciating history. And I think that's fun, especially for younger kids. I mean, we're all remembering these yeah. movies kind of. These are ones we watched when we were you know growing up is like teenagers and stuff like that. I you mean, know, sorry, just to cut in. I yeah, I think that's a really good point too because like we said with um, uh, Night at the Museum, like mm-hmm. he doesn't like history, but by the end of the film, he learns to appreciate history. Yeah. But with all these, we have like people that are really passionate about history. Like it's fun to see Indiana Jones get excited when he, in like Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he like gets downstairs and he, in the, the catacombs and he finds the shield with the other half of the inscription and he's like, you can just see his excitement discovering this <laughs> and getting the etching out and everything like that. And through the mummy too, like Evelyn is just so excited to be in Egypt, like doing archaeology and like finding the things she's finding. Like, yeah, it's cool to see those people's passions uh, for history and for the past and get to see that in these films. Yeah, and all these movies kind of, like, because we've s- slightly discussed like what brought us into the field of history, like what's been like our inspiration to become historians and like all of these movies serve to give like kids that push that they're like, I watched the mummy and now I want to know why the mummy fleed from or fled from a cat. Like why, <laughs> why was that like a, uh, a thing? And it's, um, they all just have this like cool tool where they're able to inspire people to learn more, even though they're just dra- dramatic, dramatizations of historical Mm -hmm. events and stuff like that. Sure. Absolutely. Great point. 
All right, let's move right along. So uh, this was a book that was turned into a couple of movies, and uh, it's The Da Vinci Code. Uh, took the world by storm by Dan Brown uh, and turned into a couple films. So we'll just talk about The Da Vinci Code. Obviously, there's also Angels and Demons, but I think um, The Da Vinci Code was definitely the bigger one, so that's why I included it. So The Da Vinci Code is about a, um, a symbologist, which is not a real job. <laughs> uh, I'm actually a symbologist, sorry. Uh, well, you don't have a job, so <laughs> point in case. I am unpaid. <laughs> I'm the FHJ symbologist. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, so Robert Langdon is a Harvard symbologist who gets uh, kind of swept up in a, in a conspiracy and a, a search for the Holy Grail. Um, he uses his knowledge of history and symbols to find different clues, which send him on kind of a chase, a treasure hunt, uh, in the hopes of uh, essentially finding the Holy Grail. Um, I don't think I can say much more without giving a ton away, um, and I don't want to spoil any of these films. So. The, the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons are two of those like movies that, like, you can't even give a synopsis without blowing like parts <laughs> of the plot. Of it, yeah, because yeah. like they're they're the type of movie that you actually have to pay attention the entire mm-hmm. time to get. And it's just, it's, it's interesting. And I will say personally, I thought the books were, were very good. were very entertaining. I hated the movies. I thought, yeah, I thought it was a terrible Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks plays Robert Langdon. And I think it's one of the worst castings ever. I just like, I think he was too old for the part. He's very just stale, um, throughout the whole thing. Like there's just, whereas in the book, he just seems so, um, charismatic and like energetic and I don't know. It's uh, Tom also, Hanks played him really, really lame. But anyway, we're not, we're not here. The Da Vinci Code, <laughs> uh, the Da Vinci Code and National <laughs> Treasure, they came out around the same time, and they live yeah. in the same part of my brain. Like yeah, they, no, very much they're so. very, very similar movies, and mm. it's, it's just interesting that because you can kind of map like the understanding of history and like the perception of museums in the way that they're portrayed, and National Treasure and Da Vinci Code portray museums and artifacts and things like mm. that in the very same way. Very much so. So yeah. like it's just like during like 2005 to 2011 museums were viewed as treasure hunting spots like where you could yeah. look at the artifacts and find treasure. Yeah. Or and I think museums in both of these cases are viewed as like places that have these artifacts but don't know any like don't know enough about yeah, them. Mm-hmm. Like we I don't we, understand the artifacts. Yeah, like we just like like museums are just this places like we have the history on them but we don't actually know what they're for or what they do and it's just like we have to have these like really smart guys come in and be like, "Oh, well, actually like this is a, a clue and a trail of clues to find something <laughs> special." Um <laughs> So yeah, like definitely the Da Vinci Code is is all about kind of artifacts revealing secrets and that there is a secret history to discover. Again, like Gary pointed out, a lot of similar themes and a lot of similar interpretations of museums and artifacts and history as um, National Treasure, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. They're kind of a one-to-one. And they did come out around the same time too. So yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that was good for the culture in terms of museum culture and uh, appreciation of artifacts. Um, but, you know, I always kind of... I'm weary of the treasure hunting mm. side of it all, you know, that it's like, okay, but like these things it's, can have value and importance to our culture without being like treasures, you know, right. or just leading us to that's, treasures. That's kind of the thing is even though these are just dramatizations and they're just movies, it does kind of create this idea that not only do museums hold artifacts that they don't even understand, um, but it kind of 
creates this idea culturally that museums are the keepers of secret history. Like we aren't telling everyone the the full truth. Yeah, which and I it's would just, argue is the opposite now, where we're desperately trying to push it out, and yeah. like we're like, is anybody listening? <laughs> right, and it's just it's very interesting that that's like a common theme in museum mm-hmm. movies. Is it's like it's like they're they're hiding from us. Yeah. They're hiding it. Well, and, and I guess that's what I really appreciate about the specifically the ending of National Treasure and mm-hmm. the, the Indiana Joe's quote of it belongs in the museum because it at least kind of ties it back around of like, okay, but if you're going to go treasure hunting, like if you really think that's a treasure, like it shouldn't be sold on the black market. It shouldn't just be kept for clout. Like give it to a museum, a place right. where they can curate it, protect it, preserve it, but then also exhibit it and share that knowledge with the people. Like I think mm-hmm. that's the... That's the end ethos of National Treasure and of um, Indiana Jones is that these things belong to everyone. And so a museum is a place to give an artifact so that it can literally belong to everyone because most museums hold their collections in public trust anyway. Whereas I don't think the Da Vinci Code does that at all. The Da Vinci Code is very... Uh, a small kind of insular conflict throughout the whole thing. And it's all about personal secrets and, um, you know, kind of like this broad knowledge that they decide to keep for themselves in the end. Like they don't share what they learn in the end. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that spoils anything. Again, it's, it's like a 20 year old book now. So you're either going to read <laughs> it or you don't. I don't care. Yeah. You can watch the movie. The Holy Grail. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, or you can just watch the movie. Yeah. Um, it's not a good movie, but you can watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So lastly, I just kind of want to touch on some museum tropes that I've found in uh, <laughs> yes, in different yes. movies. So the one I'll point out right away, Nathan, I know you've added a couple more, but one is the museum gala. You'll see, like, quote, the museum gala in a ton <laughs> of different films. They're all over the place, like, where, like, there'll just be a fancy museum gala happening. And it's usually, like, in a spy movie or a heist movie where it's like, yep. oh, well, they're hosting this gala. And while they're distracted by their gala, we'll sneak in and steal something or whatever. Like, that's, like, one of the main, like, that's how they it steal the like, Declaration of Independence is the National yeah. Archives is having a gallery. And they just, like, <laughs> sneak downstairs and steal it. And it's just, like, this notion that, like, apparently what a museum, so I, I don't know if this is the perception but apparently what if the mo- hollywood thinks that if a museum is having a gala all security is just focused on that and anything <laughs> else is just like up for grabs because hollywood that's assumes, the best hollywood assumes that anything. there's uh there's like a robust security a security team at all museums that's kind of the thing is they they mm. believe that there's just this like but, but they're never good at their jobs <laughs> no they they're heavily armed they're always around but they're not good at but it but they're just focused on the rich people at the gala and yeah. then there's and then there's the like the like uh the red laser, like, like yeah. little web that yep. you have to like. No, go. totally. Netflix just had one with uh, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. And they had something like that. They had the red lasers. They had everything. It was a well, well, I mean, even like, you know, the the idea is national treasure, like the, the Declaration of Independence is in like a bulletproof case. Yeah. <laughs> like, it goes through all these like elevators and stuff. Like, okay. Um, yeah, we're actually sitting right next to one of those down here. Like one of the little laser fields. Oh right yeah, next all to of yeah. <laughs> oh that's, yeah, that's, no, our security is top notch at yeah, the FHA. It's you, tight. Yeah, and mm-hmm. bulletproof cases everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, motion detectors, uh, top and bottom. A laser floor actually. So it's one of those laser floors that you have to do a specific mm-hmm. dance to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's, it's the not funky the chicken. cha-cha slide. It's the funky chicken. But yeah, you know, like, um, let's talk a little bit more about these these galas, though, because you see them a lot in films, and what are the, the big characteristics? It's everyone all like dressed up in tuxedos and evening gowns. So there's definitely this perception that, like, galas are for big museums and big mm. rich people. What do you guys think about that? It's not untrue. No, it's not untrue. I mean... Um, museums especially like large-scale museums like smithsonian stuff they get large donations from Mm -hmm. very rich people um to be able to and they do great things with those donations but um there's also kind of this struggle between what is that money going to be used for what Mm -hmm. does the donor intend for it to be used for um and how museums work with that money Um, i mean here at the fha too we are very fortunate to have a very supportive community um and so we we take those donations to keep the lights on, to preserve our artifacts, to do educational things and mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. this jazz. Um, and so like, there's definitely like that aspect that films highlight is that they have support, whether it's, you know, yeah. from small or large funders. Um, so I don't know. I think it's, I think on. it's kind of, um, it's interesting because it makes, it kind of pushes this narrative that museums are super high class institutions where where you can kind of only it's like joining a club you get to go to the galley you get to wear your nicest clothes and spend a ton of money to support a museum and like I think that's one kind of weird thing that translates itself into the way museums still operate because a lot of fundraising events for museums are primarily this like black tie event like even even here at the FHA like the auction is a is a black tie event it's something you dress up for and stuff like that and it's just a it's an interesting kind of like like idea that in order to appear as like a legitimate educational institution, you kind of have to have to follow that narrative, I guess. Well, and that's my fear too, because we did a lot of praising of some of these films for advocating for artifacts coming to museums and stuff like that. But the flip side is, and, and you know, and that museums are there to make artifacts accessible and stuff like that. But then there's this very inaccessible side of museums that Hollywood is highlighting, which is that. Yeah, we uh, we want everyone to come to the museum, enjoy the exhibits, enjoy the programs, see the artifacts. But there's, I, I think there's this notion that's being perpetuated that I don't think is entirely untrue. That like, yes, but to keep the lights on, to be able to do all this stuff, we have to play nice with wealthy. We have to donors. gaslight we- wealthy people into into sending us money by giving them this massive party. A little bit, yeah, you know, and you know, it's it's not a secret that like rich names go on buildings i mean right. uh, it's it's uh, it's just been disclosed that jeff bezos is mm-hmm. giving a whopping amount of money to the smithsonian mm-hmm. and his name is going to be going on a new uh building extension to the air and space museum you know mm-hmm. like that's been publicly disclosed well, and also if you if you just trace the uh the history of the smithsonian um institute that was money donated from an english aristocrat mm-hmm. that was meant to establish a national university but like at the time they decided they didn't want to have like a nationalized university so they created this series of museums mm-hmm. that's named after his last name was smithson so yeah. like he he 
got buildings named after him. You got <laughs> an entire series of museums named after him. And it just kind of goes to show that like museums do primarily function off of massive donations or even just the mm-hmm. smallest donation. But it's just kind of it's interesting that they're still perpetuating that idea that in order to donate to your local museum, you have to be a billionaire. So yeah, Or at least rich enough to have an evening gown or a black tie tuxedo and right. go to these really special parties. Yeah, which isn't always the case because no, like Nathan but... pointed out, I mean, like our auction, we dress up for it. But I think it's a very accessible event. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, oh, yeah. tickets well, to it are not too expensive, and like they all go to supporting right. the museum. So, and, and you don't have to donate to support a museum, right? Your no, attendance true. at a museum is support enough, right? Is coming to see our exhibits, coming to education, or volunteering. To our I always say, like, you volunteer your money yeah. or your time to a museum. That mm-hmm. helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm here doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. Uh, Nathan, do you have any other uh, museum tropes that you've noticed in Hollywood or anything like that? Uh, I think not. maybe not so much in the films we sort of discussed, but kind of going along with the gala thing a little bit is like museums have this, at least in Hollywood, this aura that like they're like civilizing spaces almost. Right. That mm-hmm. like you, you can't have fun in them. You can't run. You can't, um, you know, touch things. You can't, which is true to some extent, right? Uh, we don't want you running around, crashing around and everything <laughs> here either. Um, but at the same time, like 90th Museum is one that contrasts that, like you said, with school groups coming in and they're, yeah. they're having a ton of fun. And like, that's what museums are, right? They're a ton of fun and it's a place to have an educational experience while not feeling like it's an educational experience. So See, and I like that so much because I hate it when I see a film and it's like a slow pan into a room and it's, there's one artifact in the middle of a room <laughs> in a glass case with a spotlight on it yeah. and that's the only thing in the room. It's just like, no museum looks like that. Like that that's terrible curation. Like, that's, just, yeah. that's just what the Hope Diamond looks like in one room of yeah. the Natural History Museum. <laughs> but they're trying to make it sparkle. Um, I also feel like there's uh this weird one that like secret deals get done in museum galleries. You ever notice that? Like a cop and a, a fugitive oh, or something. In will art meet. museums. Yeah, yeah, they're always yeah, in art museums. Yeah, in front of the like, painting. Yeah, and they'll <laughs> sit down like in a painting and have like a conversation without looking at each other. Exactly. They just staring at the painting. Yeah, exactly. no, that, yeah, that's a good that's a good trope. The the business deal or the mob deal, um, in an art gallery. That's a good one. I haven't thought of that. That was in a James Bond film too. Um, yeah. He goes and he sits down beside Q and they have like a conversation and then like he gives him a gun in the middle of a museum. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just watching Peaky Blinders and then I noticed that. Yep. Yeah. There was a cop and uh, a undercover cop and they both met in front of a painting. Exact same thing. So pretty funny. But I mean the reality museum work, right, is kind of very much – it's alike in some ways to some of these tropes we're talking about. But we we joke here around <laughs> the museum that the reality of museum work is much more like uh, – if you've ever seen the show The Office <laughs> – Mm-hmm. there's a lot of like little things, little daily things that Absolutely. you have to deal with. Like some days I come in like, Oh, I want to create a new educational program. And instead I end up painting a wall twice because I got the wrong color of paint the first time, <laughs> <laughs> even though I tried matching it. Okay. It's, so, so who on the staff is Toby? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> me. That's not appropriate. To <laughs> it's me. <laughs> no, you're Ryan. <laughs> You're the temp. <laughs> Bummer. Um, <laughs> Bummer. So there's one last film that I want to point out because this one's a little bit more controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the only film that I could really think of that like challenged the idea of museums. Uh, everything else I think is pretty at least complimentary or just so exaggerated that you're just like, oh, that's silly. Um, Black Panther. Did you guys mm. see Black Panther from Marvel? 
I did. I'm trying to think. So there's a, a specific se- scene. There's a specific scene where Killmonger, the antagonist of the film, goes to a museum to steal an artifact because it's made of vibranium. Um, oh, yep, yep. And yep. The, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really interesting scene because he's kind of standing in front of the case, and then the curator uh, goes up and uh, goes to talk to him, and he gives this speech about how. Uh, the museum has stolen those artifacts. They don't know what they actually are um, and that they should give them back. Uh, and then the woman kind of looks at him and then, of course, he steals them out of the case and they run out of the museum. But it's it's one of the only examples I can think of of a movie that really challenged the idea of a museum and what a museum is and kind of suggested that maybe museums aren't great because a lot of museums have a colonial history of having stolen artifacts Right now, the British Museum is in is under kind of almost constant fire about a lot of their artifacts not being British related necessarily, so that they they're all stolen artifacts and that they should start giving them back and as a part of a repatriation. So, what do you guys think about this in terms of Black Panther kind of challenging uh, the notion of museums and having I stolen think artifacts? It fits the entire purpose of the Black Panther movie, though. In, Very much so. In the way that it's it's kind of trying to challenge colonialism, is challenging this like pre preconceived like Eurocentric notion, which I think is it's dangerous because one movie can like snowball down to multiple that are starting to be like ah museums bad, but at the same time like it highlights an issue like you're mentioning that there are museums like national institutions that have a history of colonialism and they have to like, as their duty of like showing that nation or that place's history. Um, like it's kind of that, that point is to, you have to show like the colonialism because it's part of your history. But at the same time, like they, they have a point, like if the artifacts are stolen, they got to go back to someone. Well, and we've discussed a few times too, of museums kind of used to be these sort of cabinets of curiosity. Malcolm, Mm -hmm. you always use that phrase. And, uh, like, a lot of donations in museums have started from these individual collectors. For example, I know mummies have always been the very, just recently kind of been more mm-hmm. controversial to mm-hmm. display because they're human remains, right? Yeah. Um, but a hundred years ago, it wasn't as controversial. People just purchased them. Whoever had the most money would go purchase them and put them on display and use it for profit. Um, so it's interesting. I just watched another movie called The Dig. It's actually a Netflix movie. Mm. And it's, it's interesting you brought up the British Museum because this also calls into question the British Museum as well. Mm-hmm. And there's actually like a kind of a small town archaeologist, if you will, that he discovers this artifact. And so he's working on it for weeks and weeks. And this is like at the dawn of World War One, I, I believe. Um, maybe it's World War II. Um, either way, there's a World War looming. He's trying <laughs> to uncover this artifact it's at actually the same World time. World War IV. Sorry. <laughs> and so the British Museum ends up getting involved and they kind of step in and and almost crowd him to the point where they're like, okay, this is our artifact now. And he's like, but no, like this, like, and he has this very, he has very much a reverence for this artifact too. And the British Mm -hmm. Museum is not displayed that way. Um, so it's, it's another interesting movie. Maybe take a look. It reminds me of the, the Black Panther scene, like you were saying that sometimes museums, at least in the past, I mean, we're trying to correct that colonial, some mm-hmm. of those colonial notions and practices. Yeah. Um, I think museums have done a very good job at kind of addressing that in the last few decades. Yeah. So. Well, it's interesting to see how this is maybe changing over time, that we have a bit of a history of museums more or less being celebrated and uh, considering 
considered very positive institutions, but now as the culture changes in terms of the perception of colonization and the celebration of of that history, maybe um, the perception of museums is going to change over time. <laughs> I think as our, visitor, as our listeners can probably hear, we have some uh, work going on in the background here. As always, the FHA is constantly changing, improving, and getting better, so um, we should probably actually go up and uh, help, <laughs> maybe, uh, take a break and uh, go help with some of the construction going on. So I think we're going to sign off for this episode. Maybe we'll t- uh, bring this up again in a future episode if you guys want to hear more about this. So this will wrap up another episode of Historians in Laser Hosen. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Seriously, reviews are the best way that our podcast can reach other listeners. It's one way you can do your part to communicate our history with others. Thank you all for listening and Auf Wiedersehen. Wiedersehen.